Hi, everyone. Before I get into today's episode with Kyle, I wanted to read you a quote that I found from a paper done by McKinsey and Company and Lean In. The quote is from a woman who has two children and who's a VP and also just happens to be a white woman. I feel like I'm failing at everything. I'm failing at work. I'm failing at my duties as a mom. I'm failing in every single way because I think what we're being asked to do is nearly impossible. How can you continue to perform at the same level as in the office when you had no distractions, plus being asked to basically become a teacher for, for kids and everything else with online learning? I'm doing it all, but at the same time I'm feeling like I'm not doing any of it very well. I also worry that my performance is being judged because I'm caring for my children. If I step away from my virtual desk and I miss a call, are they going to wonder where I am? I feel that I need to always be on and ready to respond instantly to whatever comes in. And if that's not happening, then that's going to reflect poorly on my performance. I thought about this because I think there were some challenges with working from home and before the pandemic had started, and I'm sure these feelings existed for both men and women. But to know that folks are working from home almost all the time, and this is almost a daily feeling, oh my goodness, how exhausting and how worrisome that must be, and potentially make you feel very insecure about your position. This was a woman, again, who was a vice president And so our conversation today is about women in leadership, and we talk about some of the challenges facing women and some of the progress that's being made, but I worry that a lot of this progress is under real threat from the pressures that women, particularly those women who are parents, of course, face and continue to face as this pandemic moves forward. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Two Nobodies. This is episode six. Today we're talking about women in leadership. It's a topic that I've thought a lot about over this past year especially, and I definitely wanted to get Kyle's thoughts on this. Um, But I first wanted to thank everyone again for listening to the last uh, episode. It was on Team Sports. We're recording this on Super Bowl night. Don't really know who won. I think it might have been Tampa Bay, but I'm sure our football guru on the other end is going to tell me who probably won i'm going to i'm going to bring in kyle who i know you call me the foremost foremost nobody but to be honest without you man this show definitely would not be possible you keep it real and keep it funny and and i'm just like a good side man like no uh, you're more um, than a side wasn't it uh who's the guy on like the ed mcmahon show who'd always go hi um you know sort of the the straw that Stirs the drink sometimes, I guess. Well, I pre- I, I'm glad you're always on these things with me. So how are you doing? How was your, uh, your week? They sort of just feel like they sort of blend into one another these days. I'm working from home and, you know, so the weekends and the work days don't really feel that that different. On the weekends, I get to spend more time with my son, which, of course, is 
way more fun than work to be honest but yeah it honestly feels like one week just kind of blends into the next um so yeah and i watched a bit of the super bowl i i haven't been watching much football these days last couple of years i've actually not watched much of it at all but looks like tom brady's gonna win um i think this is his seventh super bowl is win. seven oh. yeah in 10 visits i think and so i guess you know you have to you have to call him the greatest of all time which i do so begrudgingly because i'm not a huge fan of tom brady but um I just realized a couple of weeks ago that he moved on to Tampa Bay. Like I've been so out yeah. of it. That was is this his first year, right, in Tampa Bay? Yeah, first yeah. year, and I I think this will sort of some. I mean, it was probably cemented before, but I think that this will certainly um, his legacy now. I think because the sort of narrative before was could he win if he ever got away from Belichick? So him and like right. Bill Belichick, who's a longtime coach, I think that the narrative there. I think his motivation for going to Tampa Bay was was just showing everybody that, that he could win without Belichick and he's done it now. And so there's really no other argument as to why he's not the greatest of all time, which sort of sucks to say, but it's true. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he, uh, I haven't followed him too closely, but what a career he's had. And it seems like he has like, yeah. I don't know, one of those dream lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, hard to argue that he hasn't been successful and hard to argue that he probably, um, I'm sure that he's a role model for a lot of people. For and sure. I, I don't know much about his career, but he I can't think of any scandals he's been a part of. I actually think that he might have left. So his wife, and this kind of is getting into gossip, and we should probably just cut this out of the <laughs> podcast. But I think that he left, he left his current wife when she was like seven or eight months pregnant. Sorry, not his current wife. His previous wife when oh, she was seven or eight okay. months pregnant to, to get together with his current wife, Giselle Bündchen. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the thing that you could point to to, Say actually, you know, um, here's the scandal that's kind of falling around, but I don't think anybody talks about that. So, well, the biggest scandal was the football thing, right? The oh, I guess yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Deflate Gate. Deflate Gate. Um, yeah, he was yeah. he was suspended for like three games yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's right. They were tampering with the footballs illegally. Yeah. That's right. Oh, and and the the spying, which I don't think he had anything to do with. Yeah, but, uh, he might have. So who knows? But uh, this isn't a football podcast. No. So how are you doing? How um how was your week? I feel like the same way, just uh, blurry, uh, and also in Edmonton, it's so cold, and cold. Kyle and I were talking about this before the start of this podcast, just not being able to go outside or, or begrudgingly, you know, going outside because you got to shovel the driveway or take out the garbage or whatnot, right? So, yeah, it just it just feels like it's the same day, but, you know, I also appreciate that the days are getting just a little bit longer in Edmonton. That's mm-hmm. always, makes me happy, so... Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Those uh, having a bit of sun showing when you're done work is is really really nice. Kyle's gonna be working on his tan very soon. I have, I think I've got like some Northern European blood in me. You burn, um, don't you? You're a burner. I, I actually, I think I have a lot of Northern um, European blood in me. And so, I, yeah, the sun and I aren't really Not pals. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm the guy in like SPF a thousand. <laughs> Who just like is always in the shade. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy a sunny day. I just always have a hat on. Yeah. 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 Well, we're not talking about the NFL. We're not talking about the cold weather. We're actually, funny enough, talking about women in leadership. And, and Kyle, the reason really why I wanted to talk to you about this is so I started thinking about this probably about a year, year and a bit ago when someone I know went into an executive position. She has all the the amazing qualities of a, of a leader that you would, that I would personally seek anyways, you know, has strong emotional intelligence as a collaborator, hard worker, decisive, honest, full of integrity, 
all those kind of things. She gets into this position and it seems like no matter what she did, she could not really connect with some of her male counterparts or colleagues, particularly at the same level, but also people above her. And it was really discouraging for her. And just watching her kind of persevere and get through that was was sort of really um, almost inspirational, I could say. But it really, and frankly, kind of pissed me off, right? Like that, that, you know, she felt like she was being discriminated against or treated, you know, unfairly or unequally. And so I started to think, okay, what's really behind this? Like why is there, what's behind this perhaps insecurity that some men are feeling that they're seeing uh, a woman in this position in a, in a really important position in the organization. And I wanted to kind of just uncover that. So that was, that was sort of the first thing, which is why I brought this topic to you when we first were planning everything. And the second piece is certainly COVID is having a huge impact on women in the workforce. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people understand that. A lot of it has to do with having to, especially those who are parents, having to juggle being parents and and, and, and childcare, especially since child uh, uh, daycares and day homes and whatever form of childcare there is out there is, is uh, hard to come by at times, especially with the restrictions, um, those things being shut down. And so it pulls parents out of the workforce, particularly women are getting disproportionately impacted but that's certainly that's not just limited to um that that's certainly across the entire workforce but i also started to dig about dig into how it's affecting senior leaders and and all the data is not fully out there but there is some 2020 data to to reflect on and so i wanted to wanted to raise that and so that kind of is what led me to this conversation, and I'm, and I'm pleased that you wanted to discuss this. I will say to anyone who's listening, again, this, this might be one of those episodes like when we talked about masculinity, like Kyle and I are by no means um, experts in this topic or, you know, this is women in leadership. It's not something that we have studied. Certainly I have, I would say that I love learning about leadership and good leadership practices and I know I've had conversations with Kyle as well about these kind of things, but it, you know, we might touch on some sensitive things and, and that, that's so we're just trying to have a sort of a vulnerable, honest conversation about this whole topic. But yeah, Kyle, did yeah, you have yeah. any initial thoughts on anything before we kind of get into it? Uh, well, no, just sort of kind of build off what you just said. I mean, when it comes to this sort of topic, we truly are two nobodies. You know, we don't, um, I don't know a lot about this uh, beyond sort of maybe what the average Joe knows and so hoping to bring a bit of a, you know, a, a perspective of a schmuck on this one and sort of help ask questions and, and kind of learn uh, along the way. But I mean, it's it's something that we hear about a lot and, you know, equality in the workplace and, um, you know, people's opinions on it, I feel like range from, you know, every man in the workplace is sexist to the other end where people are saying actually sexism doesn't exist like we've already reached mm. equality so why are we talking about this and i think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle but i don't know and i've never experienced it firsthand obviously because i'm a man and i'm not really in a leadership role at my current job and so i, I don't have a ton of experience in either aspect of this but certainly looking forward to to sort of chime in and kind of learn about this as as we go along so i, I wanted to start off with i i 
I read a few papers, um, little pieces of research, and one was from Grant Thornton, which is like the that kind of big accountant counting firm, and they've actually been tracking women in business for about fifteen years. And they found that actually that the proportion of women in senior management globally has risen by 10 percentage points over the last 15 years. Now, I mean, we're not talking super high numbers. Like right now, at 2020, it stands close to about 30%. Okay. So, I mean, it's not phenomenal, but I think it started, uh, well, it would have started around 12 to 15%. And so now okay. we're up to 30%. And, and so that's 30% of women in what? Like in in a leadership roles, quote unquote, and like, how do they define? Yeah. So senior management would be, you know, not those mid-level managers, but just above that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not even just obviously including like, you know, CFOs, CEOs, CIOs, all those C-suite kind of positions, but just below that as well, other mid sort of mid-executive positions as well. Okay. So you're managing other managers basically. Yeah. Probably to like some degree. Leading other leaders sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing, so so I want you to guess though, um, where sort of the biggest increases were, like which parts of the world, like if you were to choose a continent. Oh, um, biggest increase as well. I, I know, I think uh, that I read that sort of countries that are leading the gender equality um, effort at least from a policy perspective are those in in scandinavia so sort of northern europe mm. so you know finland norway denmark um but i wonder those were already pretty progressive countries to begin with so i wonder if they maybe had a little um if they were relatively close already at least in terms to other countries around the world so i wonder if those gains were made in countries where maybe traditionally the gender equality gap has been largest to begin with so I don't really know where those countries are, but um, but you want me to come up with a guess here as to what those countries. Well, let's are, just say right? I was. I guess perhaps I was a little surprised, right? Like I would have. Okay. I would have thought as well. Like some of those northern European countries, uh, I would have thought North America, but it's not those two. Yeah. It's not. It's not Europe and North America. It's right. actually. It's actually Africa has seen the biggest. Gain. I was just gonna say because because I just read some stats about where Canada ranks on the list. I and I I think the list was um, the percentage of women in political positions. Mm. And I think you know you know so basically um, in the Senate, for example, yeah. if if you were in the states, um, and I think the ones that I that I read that were above Canada that had higher percentages. Were like Afghanistan, South Sudan, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously Afghanistan is not in Africa, but um, South Sudan is. Mm-hmm. And there was another one that that sort of surprised me. So I would maybe throw those two out there just because they were on that list that I'd read. Yeah, yeah. So so Africa has the highest amount um, in the world, thirty eight percent, and oh, North wow. America is around twenty nine percent, thirty percent. Oh, you said continent, not country. Ah, I just sound like an idiot. That's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. Anyway, sorry. Go on. This is why I'm the foremost. Is this why? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm just so much the lesser right now. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, so, 38 percent, and part of this is I, I. I learned about this is one of the biggest barriers is this thing called like the broken rung. So this is women not being hired into that first step of being a manager. Right. So there has been somewhat of a push to kind of get people into the senior management position, still not at the levels, not at really, really high levels. But there's also this impending problem of 
just having people, having women hit the manager position so that they can start to progress further up the ladder. And so there's this broken rung at just the entry level junior manager position. And that is also becoming a problem because as women become more promoted in these senior management positions, there's no kind of backfill happening, right? Now, Africa, what they've done is, um, you know, they've made some reforms, uh, you know, particularly South Africa and Rwanda have seen increases in women's representation, these middle manager roles. And they've actually made a lot of reforms over the past decade to like include laws against sexual harassment and domestic violence. But they've, again, really started to focus on that kind of broken rung that first um, uh, area of of, uh, of leadership. And so they've seen some success in that way. So I, I found that that was interesting. I never really uh, thought about how important it is for that first step and to get women just into a management position and what that would do. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If it makes sense, because it also just in terms of a culture perspective, it really just normalizes things a lot quicker, right? Yeah. I would so, wonder, um, speaking of sort of normalizing it, in your career, how many women have you either directly reported to or have had as um, you know executive directors or whatever it is, right? So like sort of up the, the leadership chain. Um, and obviously you're probably not going to remember every single boss you ever had, but I, I would wonder if, if it was common or if it was maybe less common, you could maybe answer it. And It's been more common for me, I would say. Like I, I would say from direct supervisors... Uh, at least in my current organization anyways, I've had five supervisors over my time right now and three out of those five have been women. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd say that's somewhere in line with what my experience has been as well. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like it's not, I, I've never really thought about it, to be honest. It's never yeah. really occurred to me. Uh, I did want to talk about sort of at some point you know, maybe how our past has maybe shaped this because I have some interesting sort of cultural reflections on that and sort of what I was not taught, but sort of just, you know, was was talked into my ear about women in power and, and all that. So well, I think let's that, get into it. We can talk about it right now. Well, well, we can. Yeah. I mean, so what, what's been your kind of experience? Um, Shit, I wasn't really ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought that like you were going to talk and I could kind of talk anyways. But um, well, so I was, um, so reading about some family history on my dad's side. uh, So my dad's mother, um, so they're American, so they're from the States. And then in their county, um, I think that that my dad's mother was the first female postmaster in that county. Um, and so she was in a bit of a leadership role there in the mid sixties, which was sort of a rarity back then. And even growing up, uh, my mom has been in leadership roles for a long time. She was an entrepreneur for a while, but after, um, after that, she, uh, the organization that she worked for, she was in a leadership role. And so it's, it's something that's, you know, I've been just sort of used to having, um, either being told through stories or just seeing my mother at her job uh, being in sort of leadership roles. So, so to me, it was always sort of normal. And I, I'm i sort of like how you just mentioned with your female leadership that you've had in the past. It's just something that you never really thought about because it, like, why would you think about it? Like your your boss is your boss. And so that's that's sort of been my personal history with it. You know, I never thought it out of place for a woman to be in any kind of leadership position because that's just sort of what I was exposed to at home. 
but and, so, and that sounds like, I mean, that makes a huge difference, right? If, if totally. that's what you were used to and that's what you're exposed to yeah. or were what exposed to, it wasn't the same for me necessarily. I mean, I think we talked about this in the masculinity episode, like much of the, the traditional roles of, of, a woman in the household were weren't perpetuated by necessarily the male role models I had in my life were perpetuated by the female role models I had in my life. Right. Mm. And, and I, I never was used to, at least in my family, in my culture, women taking those kind of what we know typically think of as those leadership roles and never really appreciating the role that, you know, a mother plays in in your life and, and the leadership role a mother plays, right? The leadership qualities that a mother has to have in order to be an effective parent. So now that kind of stuff I would say was really emphasized or taught to me. I mean, I've spoken very highly of my dad and, and I don't, actually there's not a lot of people who know this. And, and I mean, you know, people might hear this and they might be like, whoa, that's like a terrible way to think. But I think just understanding a context of, you know, in India and how he grew up, you know, men were always sort of the upper class. And that's just sort of the way it was thought of. Like there was certainly a reverence for women, but it was not in terms of holding, having more intelligence or having more um, skills to be in the workforce. It was, you know, there were those traditional roles that you knew that a, a woman had would fulfill and and you would revere those. But anything more was just not necessary. And I remember my dad saying to me, he's like, this was like probably when I was in my teenage years, he's like, you might want to find somebody who's not as smart as you or find somebody who is, um, yeah, don't find somebody who is smarter than you. And I was like, whoa, like that was like, you know, that was one of those things where, you know, I love my, as I spoken so highly of my dad and that doesn't change my view of him, but just this level of maybe insecurity that he felt with that. Right. Sure. And, you know, for, um, culturally speaking, that was the norm, right? Like, so, I mean, how could you ever fault a guy for growing up somewhere else? Right. Like, like those experiences are the experiences of probably most men where your father grew up. Absolutely. Needing to be like, you know, the, the top person in the conversation and always needing to kind of be right. And yeah. And and so, I mean, I, I think it's, it's easy to sort of judge a comment like that. And I would imagine that most people that are listening to this are probably North America, but who knows, you know, all seven of them, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, to just, you know, entirely discount or at least, not even try to understand where someone's coming from when they're saying that, whether it's right or wrong. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not arguing about that. What I'm arguing about is to just kind of write off that comment, you know, as being insensitive or whatever it is, you, you that completely discounts somebody's lifetime and their experiences and their role models and sort of they, how they saw genders growing up. And that's probably something that we want to get away from, right, moving forward. But you need to sort of understand where that comment's coming from. Yeah, so I, I I appreciate you saying that. I mean, uh, I was a little nervous to say that just because, you know, this day and age, I feel like things that people may have said in their past or in their history is quickly being corrected. And, and, and for, some, for some cases, I absolutely should be. 
but people kind of view them in today's context and I and I I personally have a challenge with that but uh, so yeah I, I I've never sort of slighted my dad or faulted my dad for that because I know the kind of person he is but yeah that's just sort of how how I was raised with that is is not being used to women in formal leadership positions and and in some ways maybe just being discouraged that it would be a good thing but the interesting thing is that in India the one of the most powerful prime ministers or at least my understanding of it is Indira Gandhi who led in the 1980s this is during the same time as Ronald Reagan and and she was known as a very very powerful prime minister uh, I think she was the first female prime minister there. Well, and isn't that before Canada's first prime minister? Like, like didn't Kim Campbell come along in the nineties? Yeah, for yeah, for for like six little, minutes. But, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, um, and she, like she was Canada's first, right? Canada first, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yep. I mean, like that's an interesting data point that I don't think most people would probably guess. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, just not really being exposed to it. I think it, it didn't shape me. I think. Certainly, uh, you know, I have been passively and openly discriminated against. And so to even have the thought of discriminating against a gender in in that kind of way just never crossed my mind. I've I've enjoyed working with and for the the female leaders I've had in, in, in my career. And I've found them to have exceptional qualities and skills and collaborative skills and i don't know i feel like i'm going down a hole that maybe i don't <laughs> want to get down to but but oh. nevertheless uh i digress in in just saying that you know it wasn't something that i was always exposed to yeah and i mean and i i think and we talked about this i think last week too about being vulnerable on this podcast was sort of what we wanted to do right and i think you know there's another point of you being vulnerable and i just again this is you know me being the lesser of the two nobodies because i'm never as vulnerable as you. So I got to find some way to, like to be more vulnerable, but um, I really appreciate that. And then I, I think, you know, we're trying to have honest conversations about interesting topics. And through that, you know, there's going to be some things that come up that might be a little contentious, but like, I, I know that we're both coming to this conversation from a place of good faith and trying to improve and betterment and all that stuff. And so I think it's good that you brought it up. I really appreciate it. Hey, did you, have you, so one thing that I, I was thinking about, and and this kind of links to just not being sort of exposed to this. But then, you know, there's been a lot of affirmative action policies and sort of reverse discrimination policies. And have you ever thought about whether women actually want this kind of like special treatment or or these kind of policies to really attain these leadership positions? Like I did a little bit of reading on this, but just sort of, I don't know if you read anything up on it too, but... I would I would guess... Uh, and again, this is a guess, and it could be a wrong one. That it 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 depends on what you mean by that. And I I think that generally speaking, most people, women included, would want equal opportunities for individuals in a society, regardless of their gender. And what I mean by that is, we should all have the same opportunity and be treated fairly to do what we want to do. And if other factors kind of whittle you down, like maybe my IQ is too low to do something or whatever it is, that's that's fine. Like I'm just not I'm just not suited for whatever opportunity that is based on my capabilities, but not based on my gender or my race or whatever right. it is. And so I think that generally speaking, most people w- would want that um, equality of opportunity, and that's an assumption on my part. I've read no data that sort of backs that up. And then there's sort of the equality of outcomes aspect of it, which is where you look at 
the end point of all this. And I guess generally speaking, there should be 50% of women should be in in uh, leadership positions and 50% of men should be in leadership positions or whatever the percentage of male to females are in society that should be represented in leadership positions. And there's probably a bit of a, I think that, that, that equality of outcomes might be a little bit more contentious just because it's it's something that's probably much more difficult to enforce and it presupposes what people want. So the uh, the research that I saw was down in Latin America, particularly Brazil, and women viewed their leadership capacity a little bit differently if the affirmative action was kind of believed to be just or not. And so if they if they saw the, the affirmative action policy was just then they would view their more, their leadership capacity more positively and then would desire to seek leadership positions. But if they felt like it wasn't just and it was somehow being forced and there was no good reason to really do it, then it would almost they, they would kind of question themselves as far as their leadership capacity and then wouldn't want to seek that. Mm-hmm. I found that sort of really interesting. And so then the paper goes on and says sort of one way to perhaps kind of counter these feelings is is to work on making the culture sort of more receptive to the different to the differences to really sort of build an inclusive culture and so that people wouldn't so there wouldn't necessarily need to be these formal affirmative action or or reverse discrimination policies but that it would essentially become normalized and that people would understand okay this is this is what you know this particular gender brings even though that's really generalizing a whole gender but but essentially just recognizing those differences and it, it goes across you know not just gender but obviously people who have certain disabilities or or ethnic minorities or whatever sure. and, and 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 just to sort of finish up here they were there was findings that certain asian countries kind of they don't necessarily have to have affirmative action policies because some a lot of their population is heterogeneous, so it's just diverse already. So their organization can kind of just organically diversify. Hmm. And so then there is this culture already of acceptance and they already value diverse thoughts. The problem is actually, though, is these are countries that have kind of grown more organically to be diverse Whereas, and, and, and ours here in North America is, has experienced that too, but we're not, we're actually probably more resistant to, um, dedicated programs because we've already had these diversity, this, this diversity organically happen. And so when you have a, an actual formal policy, people are like, well, why do we actually need this? Right? Like we already have a diverse workforce to begin with. So why do we need to push it? Hmm. So I mean, I so found that interesting. And we talked about this before, but uh, men are are generally more assertive than women, and uh, women are generally more agreeable than men. And so that sort of disparity, or so that sort of difference in traits, some people mm-hmm. say, is why women aren't in leadership positions because they are more agreeable, meaning that that they won't, you know, like they won't walk into their boss's office and ask for a raise or promotion, whereas a man might do that because he's maybe less agreeable and a bit more assertive based on genes, yes. you know, based on DNA and based on historical traits that are associated with masculinity. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it was just sort of the counter argument to that. And the other thing that was brought up that I saw through a couple um, 
articles was that women generally view their utility as less than what it is. Whereas men maybe uh, view their utility as more than what it is. And so if, Mm. if those two points are taken to be true, which I'm not saying they are, but this is just sort of the viewpoint that I read about men generally think that they're, um, they have stronger utility in the company that they work for. And they're more likely to go and ask for a raise or at least to be more competitive or uh, to be more assertive in pursuing those roles where women will actually see themselves as, as offering less utility to that company. And they're less likely to go into their boss's office and, and, and demand a promotion or a raise. And they might be a little bit less competitive when it comes to those roles because of those difference in traits. And again, I don't know if that's true or not, but it was an interesting um, point that I saw in a couple articles that I read. And it, if it's true, it stands to reason, I suppose. Um, and so how do you then, because I think that in our minds, we all have a general idea of what a good leader is and you know, whatever, whether that's accurate or not, we sort of have these traits that are associated with leadership and particularly higher ups in, in, in companies or organizations and showing what got them there. And, you know, even if you think about them as, uh, uh, there's a great Futurama episode about, um, <laughs> uh, they find a guy from 1980s who's like frozen in the ice or something. And so he then, um, gets unfrozen somehow and, and him and Fry start hanging out and he was like a stockbroker in the eighties on wall street. And he's this, he's this guy who like calls himself a shark and he, you know, and he's, he's the stereotypical douchebag that you would associate with like an eighties stockbroker on, on wall street, you know, just like overconfident, assertive, um, you know, and he, he's just kind of an asshole, but he talks about their shark and their sheep and you got to be a shark. And so he's trying to teach Fry to be the shark and, and it, it's a wonderful episode. Anyways, I think that, that that's probably hyperbole, but there's probably a bit of truth to that about, you know, these these leadership roles and maybe what we would all see, particularly when it comes to like Fortune 500 companies or whatever it is, what these traits um, that are found across leadership might look like. And um, so if you then in your mind say, okay, this is generally what leadership needs, like there has to be some, you know, some sort of ability to be assertive and, and maybe be cutthroat or, you know, be maybe aggressive or almost conniving in a way or whatever it is and women are less likely to do that then you know maybe um how do you then change what that view in people's minds is of a good leader but on the other side if if i think about all the bosses that i've had that i really really admire and like really really respect they didn't really fit into that traditional mold at all like they were very very conscientious and they were um, you know, very, very smart and very, very driven, but they also had this real personable side to them and this, you know, this, I don't want to say nurturing, but they, um, you know, through different ways, they would show that they actually cared about their employees. And yeah, you know, they, they had to be hard asses when they had to be hard asses, but they weren't always that way. And they weren't just a jerk to be a jerk. And I had bosses that were like that too. And I didn't respect them and I didn't really like working for them. And so I, I wonder if it's that traditional view you know the shark guy from futurama that people have in their mind is what a good leader is but in practice a good leader isn't that at all and in practice the traits that maybe could be aligned with historically you know feminine traits um are actually part of what already makes up a good leader but then how do you then change that narrative in in public opinion bit of a meandering point there but 
No, no, it's a good one. And I think that I believe that that's changing. I mean, I think one of the, you know, most followed leaders probably between, you know, the 70s, especially through the 80s, was Jack Welsh. He was the um, CEO or, or, you know, the person who headed up um, GE, right? And he was, he talked about these kind of command and control kind of leadership qualities and how it was so important and that's how you run your company. And a lot of the sort of the thought leaders of today who, who research leadership recognize that that's, it was just such a toxic way to, 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 to view leadership and a toxic way of, uh, or a toxic way of leading teams and leading organizations. I think people recognize more and more that those aren't the qualities that make up a good leader. And we need to be stepping away from that. Interesting. Like I, I, I saw some Pew research from, it was about from 2014 and, uh, Men and women tend to agree that honesty, intelligence, organization, decisiveness, um, these are kind of like the top traits of a leader. Um, and that, and that, so you're going to say something? Well, sorry. So I just, uh, can you repeat those? Honesty, yeah. intelligence, organization, and decisiveness. Okay. So do any of those fit into what would be a trait that's only seen uh, and this is sort of based on our conversation from our our masculinity episode, mm-hmm. but none of those appeared in what we viewed as being aligned with traditional masculine traits, right? Like those are both traits that you would find historically in any gender. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And the interesting thing is that women were seen to be um, a bit more uh, or, or viewed uh, intelligence and honesty higher than men did as far as a top trait. Interesting. And I mean, if yeah. if you wanted to work for somebody who was, you know, more intelligent and more honest or maybe had more integrity versus somebody who didn't, I mean, you'd obviously want to, you know, work for somebody that um, has more integrity, obviously, right? Yeah. 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 And, and I think, I think to your point of like, you know, needing to be conniving and needing to be manipulative, those are kind of, you know, in order to win, win, win and get your way, I think, you know, this research clearly shows that, those thoughts are probably evolving now where those are no longer those kind of uh, main traits. The other interesting piece is that there's uh, large gaps on these other traits that were seen to be uh, really important for, for leadership. And those were, you know, women, more, more women would say that compassion and innovation were essential traits of good leaders. And that to me may, uh, you know, I, I, that, didn't overly surprise me, but it was interesting that it was um, there were large gaps on that. And then this one was interesting, which I didn't I, I had to really think about. But more women, particularly younger women, the millennial age category, believe that ambition was more of an essential trait than an essential leadership trait than men. Interesting, so men, really? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's me. Have no. Again, no data to really back this up, but I guess my thought behind that would just be perhaps this feeling of, you know, needing to catch up and needing to needing to really uh, push themselves to 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 bump up those numbers and to make way into organizations and and you know, for so long sort of being suppressed, um, that ambition was a really driving force in order to in order to um, 
in order to actually make an impact and, and get yourself into those senior leadership roles? What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think ambition is, and I hope that this isn't taken the wrong way, but for many women, ambition is required to sort of compete with men um, from the single standpoint of biology. And so if a woman wants to have a kid, um, you know, or, or a family decides to have a kid, uh, the woman, you know, has to be pregnant and the women has to give birth. And I, I would say, and I don't know this, but I would say that the vast majority, you know, cause in Canada, we're lucky we get, you know, we have a year long mat leave, uh, and it can be 18 months actually too. Um, but I would imagine that the vast majority of the partners who are taking that maternity leave are the women, are the mothers. And mm-hmm. so if you think about that, let's say that that's, um, a woman in, in her mid-30s has had two children and, and has taken a year away from work for each child. Yeah. Whereas a man, you know, just didn't. And so now if you really, really, if if they were the same IQ, if they had basically the exact same DNA, except for the fact that one could bear a child and the other could not, and they both had the exact same career goals, the one that wasn't away for two years because of childbirth or because that worked out best for their family would be two years in the hole. Mm-hmm. And and so, and that's, um, I would wonder if those numbers are changing a little bit. My dad actually stayed home for a year after I was born um, and, and um, my mother returned to work. And this is in the 80s, you know, so that, that was a rarity. Then he, he tells stories about going to mom and tot's swim class and he's the only guy there that's amazing man yeah yeah, um yeah Yeah. but so i i would wonder what those numbers look like but if i had to guess it's probably in the 80th percentile maybe even higher of during that mat leave women are the one taking that year away and so if if they have a career that they care about and you know that they want to advance you're sort of already behind the eight ball um you know when compared to your male uh counterparts and so ambition i i think is you know, just because of, of biology, I mean, you know, you, you sort of have to work a little bit harder probably. Yeah. I mean, I mean all, you know, that, that, that seems to reason with me too. And I, I'm sure there's some data out there. Yeah. Just, it, it was, it was something that stood out to me when I, when I saw it, mm. let me ask you a question. So, um, only be, well, I know the answer is based on the research I read, but from those leadership traits, so honest, intelligent, decisive, organized, compassionate, innovative, and ambitious, what would you say that people who were surveyed on this would say that um, women were described to have more of? Compassion. And I, I'm not saying that, that that's how I feel, but that that's probably what the answer to that question would be, I suppose. Yeah, so it was, it was compassion, compassion and organized were the things mm-hmm. that people saw women to have more of. Interesting, so, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, I think those leadership traits are, have definitely evolved and it was interesting to see that these were those. I do want to shift a little bit because, you know, we have COVID right now in this pandemic. And I honestly, it, it, it really, I it really breaks my heart to think about you know, the progress that has been made and you still, it's not at really high levels by any means. Like we talked about 30%. And then to think about what's going to be, 
what these stats are going to be looking like and how you talked about, you know, just, you know, women typically if they're staying home for a mat leave, they're set back for two years. You're giving that kind of example. Yeah. I mean, and, what and, this is going to be doing. Uh, sorry to interrupt, I, but, no, but just okay. because uh, going into this, I, I sort of had in, in my mind, um, maybe what the, what the gender differences were in leadership roles, at least in our country, which is Canada. Sure. Um, and I had a, you know, sort of a percentage in my mind as the number of those that would be uh, female versus male. And I, I kind of went and did some digging and I was way off. Um, I was way higher than, uh, the truth. So, um, women comprise 19.5% of the board members of Canada's top 500 companies. Yep. Um, they make up 8.5% of the highest paid positions in Canada's top 100 listed companies. And women tend to, and so then there's the whole argument about, well, it's, it's just meritocracy. You know, the best individuals are filling those roles, but women tend to work in industries that reflect traditional gender roles. So like they make up a higher percentage of, of, um, workers in these industries. So things like healthcare yep. and social assistance, education, yep. accommodation, and food service mm-hmm. in, in Canada. But even in those industries, women tend to occupy lower level positions, not executive roles. So even in those industries that are dominated by women, the executive roles are actually more men than women. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this last one we sort of already touched on, but as far as gender equality goes, and uh, they measured this in... Um, the percentage of the national parliament that is female and Canada ranks number 63 behind Rwanda, Mexico, Afghanistan, and South Sudan. You just already said about our, par- our parliament, like our, yeah. Yeah. So in, yeah, yeah. in national parliament, uh, yeah. the percentage of the makeup that is female and we're 63rd, um, 63rd, 63rd. So there's 62 other countries that have a higher percentage of women in their national parliament. Uh, and Canada's behind Rwanda, Mexico, Afghanistan, and South mm. Sudan, which is, as we learned, you know, I I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, and so I, sure. so, and because c- in my mind, the numbers, so, you know, for example, the women comprising um, 19.5% of the board members in Canada's top 500 companies, I would have thought that had been like 45%. No, I mean, but it's, it's especially in a country like Canada where we talk about multiculturalism and yeah. we talk about diversity as a strength, you're you're almost made to believe that that is probably true that it's close to 50-50 and we have a lot of work to do in this country and in, in North America and other western uh democracies I'm sure I, I mean we don't have the data but I, I have no doubt that that's the case yeah. um sorry yeah, so that really... so I I didn't mean to kind of railroad your conversation so now back to covid but that was just just for me it's you know sort of cement those numbers in my mind um, just at the tail end of our conversation, because you know. For- yeah. So if you're talking about nineteen, let's just again the Canadian example, nineteen percent. What's going to happen to some of these women who, especially if they're parents and they're having to juggle their job, they're in a VP position, for instance, and they have a kid or two, and and you know I have I have I'm sure you do. You have friends and colleagues who are working at their desk at home and they got their kid with their laptop set up because school is closed and they're having to juggle that and really can't focus on their job. And, and, you know, I, I just, I just hope that, and I know this is not hundred percent true. I just hope that 
there have been a lot of companies who have really done a self-check and been like, hey, you know, this is a different year. Like this, the productivity is just naturally not going to be there. We can't shame or, or, um, you know, discipline our, our, our employees, particularly our female employees, because they got to support their children and their families. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just hope that that's the case, but I know I, 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 I'm sure I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be wrong on that one, unfortunately. Uh, and that's just, you know, the other thing I was reading was that typically, uh, especially during this pandemic, at least during 2020, this was American research anyways, but that when asked to, when the conversation would happen about like, okay, hey, maybe I might need to leave my job. It was typically the women who were, who were sort of thinking about that and, and being required to sort of take that step back, not necessarily the man. And, you know, maybe go, and, and even the thought about like, okay, you know, who, who even raises that was more women would raise that more. And, you know, there's probably a whole bunch of factors into that, but I, I first thought came to mind is sort of what we talked about in the masculinity episode, which was this needing to, since this needing to provide, right? But of course, like, <laughs> why wouldn't a woman feel the same way? Like, there's no difference there, right? But, but certainly, you know, this sort of traditional thought of like, okay, the man needs to be the one who continues working. And, and, and even from like a biological, pers- a biological perspective, um, if you and your family decide that like breastfeeding is the way to go, I mean. You're sort of ham, so you, so you can do one of two things. The you know, so your mother, the mother can can uh, stay home and be close and kind of breastfeed the child if that's a priority for your family, or the mother can pump, and um, pumping to produce milk from what I've read, like that's no small feat and it's incredibly taxing on on women, and so you sort of have to make all these decisions that are stacked against women um in a lot of ways so mm-hmm. if you decide to have a family you know the woman has to bear the child and and like has to give birth you know that that's a non-option uh, although there was a movie in like the 90s with arnold schwarzenegger called junior where he becomes the first man to have a baby <laughs> and i never watched it but i would wonder if there's a birth scene in that movie and what it looked like um we don't need to talk about that here. I do not wonder about that. I'm I'm curious because that was 90s. Like he was still pretty buff, dude. It'd be a weird scene to see. It would be. That's true. Anyways, um, that doesn't matter. Um, no. But so there's you know so that's decision one. And then if you you know if your family values breastfeeding, well, there's another decision that it's it's just simply easier, you know, for the mother to stay home as opposed to the father. Um, and so it's you almost it's a bit of a dichotomy in some cases where you can choose to value your career during that span of your life or you can um you, you know choose to to stay home and it's just it sucks because that's just biology like that's just and it's not something that a man has to think about totally though, right totally like yeah. you can you know say that that you're there to support and all that stuff but it's it's just not the same so it's um anyways yeah like there's the so i what we kind of like to do, I like to think sometimes in these podcasts is sort of talk about, well, what the heck do we do? And mm-hmm. this one's hard. Like this one's really hard. And I don't, I, you're talking about like from going like a go forward. Yeah. Basis, like, like how do you do? sort yeah. of help address 
you know, gender equality or, you know, whatever it is. And I, I, I don't know. And so, um, so like Northern European countries, so like Scandinavia, they're generally viewed as the, as the leaders in this space. Progressive uh, on many things. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, particularly yeah. from a, uh, from gender equality aspect, mm-hmm. at least from a policy standpoint, from a government policy standpoint. And, you know, for example, um, and I, I can't remember which countries, maybe Norway, but they've put in legislation that says if you're a company that's larger than 25 people, you have to have a plan and show how you are actively working to reduce the gender equality gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, you can be subject to fines. And so like it, so, so not doing that is actually breaking the law. I don't know if you came across anything sort of in your... The only thing I saw was like that Grant Thornton research just really talked about how there's this need to build an inclusive environment that really encourages diverse perspectives. Okay. So as soon as you have that, then, you know, whether you're male or female, whether you have disabilities or whether you have you're an ethnic minority or whatever, everyone knows that all the views and perspectives are valued equally. And that's not, and that's not the case. That's still not the case. Like I think we've talked about the need to establish a a safe and trusting environment and how that's a really important leadership quality and, and environment to have on teams in an organization. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is, um, that's still there. Right. And so I think that is an important piece. And so for my mind, I think diversity is just really the key. Like if you really have an environment and an organization and a structure that values diverse perspectives, then you're naturally just going to have people of different, you know, creeds and, and, you know, genders and whatever at the table. Right. But as soon as you, discount those diverse perspectives sure you're probably just going to stick to what has historically been the case and so yeah i mean there's obviously there's tons of focus on diversity and inclusion these days and people who you know make a living on this stuff but that's where my head would go and when i read that research that made sense to me as far as you know then you're balancing like this um that leadership or people who get to those positions is based on, on merits. Mm. Uh, but you're also ensuring that, um, that different views are at the table and you perhaps hitting a, a sweet spot, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe that perhaps kind of slows the growth to begin with in terms of particularly women in senior management positions. I don't know. That, that would just be my guess. And if you were to have an active policy that said, hey, you had to hit this quota or you had to, you know, yeah, you just really have to spend a lot more time and attention on getting women into senior management positions. If there's a really active policy, sure, those numbers maybe would bump. My assumption would think they would bump up quicker. But I think if you want to do something sustainable, I think, I suspect that most people would be okay if they knew that they were just heard in the workplace, right? And when you do that, then naturally you're going to have diversity running through the senior management ranks. And that's across all, again, all genders, all disabilities, all creeds, whatever it might be, you know? So that's that's sort of what I would think should be the focus um, going forward. Well said. Well said. I mean, generally, just don't be a dick, right? <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I wanted to. I wanted to um, 
end sort of this conversation. I mean, it's, it is really saddening. Honestly, I, I, I thought about this a lot this week, um, but I thought about this as this pandemic is happening, just again, what many women are facing in the workforce. And then of course, those who have, you know, worked so hard to get to these senior management positions and perhaps have to leave them and, you know, start again to a much lower level or, or go back down a few levels. And, you know, it's kind of been a little bit of a, a downer of a conversation um, uh, in some uh, some parts of it anyways uh, um, tonight. But I guess sort of my final question to you, and, and I'm not sure if you've thought about this, is what le- what has you feeling optimistic about things going forward? In relation to gender equality? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and women in senior management positions and, and diversity and all that um it's a good question what has me feeling good um <laughs> man this just sounds so like defeatist or fatalist. I, I i don't uh maybe you go first and i'll see if i can kind of think of something well i, I and and you know i i probably should have primed you for that a little bit but i i have seen more instances of people highlighting and pointing out sexist behavior than I have yes. of people being sexist. So that's a positive thing to me, at least how, you know, with the view that I have, and I certainly could be missing things and I'm not picking up on everything, but generally speaking, that's been my experience. Yeah. I, I would agree to that for sure. I think sometimes, you know, in when that happens, when people sound the alarm bells and, and see these injustices, sometimes it can it can go too far, and I think we're kind of realizing that sometimes as a society that we're, you know, some things that maybe we didn't need to be so sensitive about we are, right? Uh, but I think overall, for sure, I think the fact that people are raising these things, people are becoming more aware, people are are realizing they're kind of that there are these unconscious biases within them, is 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 phenomenal. Um, the other, I mean, just hearing you talk about your personal experience and how your family raised you that gives me hope i mean you're not probably the only person i'm sure there's not as many of 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 you and 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 the way your families were your family um brought you up but uh but that gives me that gives me hope to think about that okay there's probably others out there I think the other, the couple other pieces that I would say give me hope and and why I'm optimistic is just a lot of the things I read these days about leadership and and that companies and organizations are really seeking. You know, what we have talked about a few times now as really essential qualities of good leaders and 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 what constitutes really great organizations, and people shifting away from this kind of command and control style and 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 kind of dictator kind of style leadership. And so just, you know, the formal training and the, and the learning is happening and there's, and there's some really powerful voices that are leading that conversation, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, we kind of probably the last four years in, in the United States has really challenged that. And I'm sure people have felt soured by that, but I think, Overall, people know that that's not the case, and and major companies know that that's not really the way to lead. Um, so you know, Donald Trump isn't the way you're supposed to be a leader. I think people understand that. I think the other thing that sort of gives me hope is certainly we've seen a lot of social movements 
right? The Me Too movement and and other social movements, you know, obviously with the with the death of George George Floyd and how that was so public public, you know, Black Lives Matter was something that was there, you know, four or five years ago, um, particularly in the United States, but even more. And and I think people have really understood the importance of that movement. But even more so is that, you know, it's funny when I say the young people of today, because I still have a hard time with thinking that I'm not really that young anymore. Uh, but the young people of today, for them, it's, for the most part, most of them think that this is it's just normal that we should be a diverse society and that we should be embracing different perspectives. And, you know, whereas when even we talked about when we grew up, like I explained my upbringing, it wasn't normal for women to have, at least in my family and, and at least in Indian culture, for women to have, you know, places of formal leadership. And that is changing. And young people don't believe that anymore, right? It's just about having good, diverse perspectives that are based on good logic and reason and you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or black, white, brown, whatever it is. And I think that's to me is really encouraging. Like I'm hoping that like, you know, when Avina grows up that she just doesn't see like it's just normal for her. And I think it will be. I really do. I really do believe it'll it'll be like that. And we're seeing a lot of companies move towards that and they understand that that is the way forward, especially with all the challenges facing the world, you need to have diversity in thought. Like it's the only way you can really move forward. And so if not for like this sort of social reason to move things forward, there's like this imperative that businesses just to survive need to be more, more diverse in their understanding. Of. So I would say those are the, those are the things that give me You're way more positives than I do. <laughs> your glass half full. Guy. I don't know why you think that way. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's just impressive that your uh, your family kind of, yeah, just just not only taught you, but just that your your mother was in a uh, a position of formal leadership, and that was just normal for you. Like, it says a lot. I mean, I think we've talked about music, for instance. I, I've asked you. I was like, did you grow up on music? And you're like, yeah. I was like, well, I wonder if that's that's the reason why you're very musical. Like, I think I, I didn't grow up on music, and I it's just not always it hasn't been a priority. Like, I think those things for sure matter. So, yeah. um, it's good to know that there are families out there that, you know, at least when we were young, anyways, um, that those conversations were being had, and it was normal. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's um, I would agree with all that. Yeah, I listen to a lot of music. Van Morrison just on steady play at my house growing up. I love Van Morrison. <laughs> well, anyways, this is uh, again been a great conversation. I think there's so many routes we could have taken this. I, I think, you know, I'm glad we ended on the hope hope thing. I know you didn't necessarily feel that like you maybe gave the an answer or whatever, but I, I generally I think that there's there is a lot to be hopeful for, and I'm glad you you feel the same way and. And I'm sure we're going to have more conversations about these because this pandemic is still going on and it's going to still be, you know, a year and, and the ramifications of this are going to continue. So hopefully we can we can interview some people on this and continue our conversations on this topic. Yeah, buddy. 